Welcome to another in-depth exploration in the Book of Jeremiah. Written by Imre Tokich, Ph.D., LLD. Edited for audio and produced by the Ambassador Group. Exploration 2. The Crisis Within and Without. Israel was holiness to the Lord, the first fruits of his increase. All that devour him will offend. Disaster will come upon them, says the Lord. Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 3, the New King James Version. If we could pick one word to describe the human condition since the fall, it would be crisis, the extent of which can be best understood by what it took to get us out of the crisis, the death of Jesus Christ on the cross. The crisis must be pretty bad after all. Look at the extreme measure needed to solve it. All through the Bible, many stories took place against the backdrop of one crisis or another. The situation during the time of Jeremiah and his ministry was no different. God's people faced many challenges, both from within and from without. Unfortunately, despite the terrible military threat from foreign powers, in many ways, the greatest crisis came from within. Within meant not just a corrupt leadership and corrupt priesthood, which were bad enough, but within was in the sense of people whose hearts had been so hardened and damaged by sin and apostasy that they refused to heed the warnings that God was sending them warnings that could have spared them from disaster. Sin is bad enough, but when you refuse to turn away from it, wow, talk about a crisis. A quick history. When the Israelites had finally entered the promised land, after years of wandering in the wilderness, it wasn't long before troubles began. All it took was for a new generation to arise, one that didn't know the Lord, Judges 2 verse 10, and a spiritual crisis started that in many ways infected the nation all through its history. It's a problem that, indeed, has infected the Christian church as well. Let's listen to Judges chapter 2, verses 1 through 15. As you listen to these verses, answer this two-part question. What caused the crisis, and how was it made manifest? Now the angel of the Lord went up from Gilgal to Bochim, and he said, I brought you up from Egypt and have brought you to the land 
which I swore to give to your fathers, and I said, I will never break my covenant with you. And you shall make no covenant with the inhabitants of this land, but you shall break down their altars. But you have not obeyed my voice. Why? Why have you done this? So now I say, I will not drive them out from before you, but they shall be as thorns in your sides, and their gods shall be a snare to you. When the angel of the Lord spoke these words to all the Israelites, the people lifted up their voice and wept. They named that place Bokim, weepers, and they sacrificed there to the Lord. And when Joshua had let the people go, the Israelites went every man to his inheritance to possess the land. And the people served the Lord all the days of Joshua and all the days of the elders who outlived Joshua, who had seen all the great works of the Lord, which he did for Israel. And Joshua, son of Nun, the servant of the Lord, died being 110 years old. And they buried him within the boundary of his inheritance in Timnath-Heres, in the hill country of Ephraim, north of Mount Gaash. And all that generation were gathered to their fathers, and there arose another generation after them who did not know, recognize, understand the Lord or even the work which he had done for Israel. And the people of Israel did evil in the sight of the Lord and served the Baals. And they forsook the Lord, the God of their fathers, who brought them out of the land of Egypt. They went after other gods of the peoples round about them and bowed down to them and provoked the Lord to anger. And they forsook the Lord and served Baal, the God worshipped by the Canaanites and the Ashtaroth, female deities such as Ashtoreth and Asherah. So the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he gave them into the power of plunderers who robbed them. And he sold them into the hands of their enemies round about, so they could no longer stand before their foes. Whenever they went out, the hand of the Lord was against them for evil, as the Lord had said, and as the Lord had sworn to them, and they were bitterly distressed. In the New International Version, verse 11 says, then the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. Each generation, one after the other, moved one step further from God until the nation was being exactly what the Lord had told them not to do. Due to their sin, they faced one crisis after another. But even then, the Lord had not given up on them. Judges chapter 2 verse 16 tells that the Lord sent them judges who delivered them from their immediate woes. 
But the Lord raised up judges who delivered them out of the hands of those who robbed them. After the era of the judges, the nation entered a time of relative peace and prosperity under what has been called the United Monarchy. The rule of Saul, David, and Solomon, which lasted about 100 years. Under David, then Solomon, it grew into a regional power. The good times, though, did not last. After the death of Solomon about 931 B.C., the nation split into two factions, Israel in the north and Judah in the south. Much of the blame can be placed on the misguided rule of Solomon, who, for all his wisdom, made numerous mistakes. The tribes had long suffered grievous wrongs under the oppressive measures of their former ruler. The extravagance of Solomon's reign during his apostasy had led him to tax the people heavily and to require of them much menial service. Ellen G. White wrote those words in her book entitled Prophets and Kings, page 88 and 89. Things were never the same again for God's chosen nation. Everything the Lord had warned them not to do, they did. And thus they reaped the depressing, distressing, and painful consequences. Think about the problem of the next generation not having the values and beliefs of the one before it. How have we as a church approached and handled this issue? How can we learn to transmit our values to those who follow us? Listening friend, what is your strategy? The Two Kingdoms After the division of the nation, things went from bad to worse. In the northern kingdom, King Jeroboam made some terrible spiritual choices that had a long-lasting impact for evil. Listen to 1 Kings chapter 12, verses 26-31 through 31, with this question in mind. What does this glimpse of Old Testament biblical history indicate to you about how immediate circumstances can so blind your judgment? Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom will return to the house of David. If this people goes up to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to sacrifice, then the heart of this people will turn again to their Lord, to Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. So the king took counsel and made two calves of gold, and he said to the people, It is too much for you to go all the way up to Jerusalem. Behold your gods, 
O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And he set the one golden calf in Bethel, and the other he put in Dan. And this thing became a sin, for the people went to worship each of them even as far as Dan. Jeroboam also made houses on high places and made priests of people who were not Levites. The king's introduction of idolatrous worship helped set the nation on a disastrous course. The king's introduction of idolatrous worship helped set the nation on a disastrous course. The apostasy introduced during Jeroboam's reign became more and more marked until finally it resulted in the utter ruin of the kingdom of Israel. The words of Ellen G. White in her book, Prophets and Kings, page 107. In the twelfth year of Ahaz, king of Judah, Hosea, son of Elah, began his nine-year reign in Samaria over Israel. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, but not as Israel's kings before him did. Against him came up Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, and Hosea became his servant and brought him tribute. But the king of Assyria found treachery in Hosea, for he had sent messengers to sow king of Egypt and offered no tribute to the king of Assyria, as he had done year by year. Therefore the king of Assyria shut him up and bound him in prison. Then the king of Assyria invaded all the land and went up to Samaria and besieged it for three years. In the ninth year of them in Hala and in Habor, by the river of Gozan, and in the cities of the Medes. This was so because the Israelites had sinned against the Lord their God, who had brought them out of the land of Egypt from under the hand of Pharaoh king of Egypt, and they had feared other gods. In 722 B.C., Shalmaneser, king of Assyria, put an end to the country and deported its inhabitants to different parts of his empire. There was no turning back from this exile. For a time, Israel disappeared from history. Things weren't as bad in the southern kingdom, at least not yet, but they weren't great either. And, as with the northern kingdom, the Lord sought to spare these people from the calamity that the northern kingdom faced, only now from the threat of the Babylonians. Unfortunately, with rare exceptions, Judah had a series of kings who continued to lead the nation into deeper apostasy. What do these verses say about the reign of some of Judah's kings, father Manasseh and son Ammon. Second Chronicles chapter 33, verses 9, 10, and 21 through 23. 
So Manasseh led Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem to do more evil than the heathen whom the Lord had destroyed before the Israelites. The Lord spoke to Manasseh and to his people, but they would not hearken. Verses 21 through 23. Amon was 22 years old when he began his two-year reign in Jerusalem. But he did evil in the sight of the Lord, as did Manasseh, his father. For Amon sacrificed to all the images which Manasseh, his father, had made and served them. And he did not humble himself before the Lord, as Manasseh, his father, finally did. But Amon trespassed and became more and more guilty. Jehoiachin and nephew Mataniah, name changed to Zedekiah. 2 Kings 24, verses 8, 9, and 17 through 19. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began his three-month reign in Jerusalem. His mother was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. Jehoiachin was 18 years old when he began his three-month reign in Jerusalem. His mother was Nehushta, daughter of Elnathan of Jerusalem. And he did evil in the sight of the Lord, in keeping with all his father had done. Verses 17 through 19. And the king of Babylon made Mataniah, Jehoiachin's uncle, king in his stead, and changed his name to Zedekiah. Zedekiah was 21 years old when he began his 11-year reign in Jerusalem. His mother was Hamutal, daughter of Jeremiah of Libna. He did evil in the sight of the Lord, in keeping with all Jehoiakim had done. Despite all the terrible leadership, so many of the prophetic books of the Bible, including Jeremiah, are the words of the prophets whom God sent to his people in an attempt to turn them away from the sin and apostasy that was eating at the heart of the nation. The Lord was not going to give up on his people without giving them ample time and opportunity to turn from their evil ways and be spared the disaster that their sin would inevitably bring. It's so hard to stay out of your own culture and environment and look at yourself objectively. In fact, it's impossible. Why, then, must you constantly test your life against the standard of the Bible? What other standard do we have?
evils. It was against this background that the young Jeremiah began his prophetic ministry. The words of the Lord came to him, and he spoke it in hopes that the people, if they would heed these words, would be spared the ruin that otherwise was sure to come. Jeremiah chapter 2, verses 1 through 28. Answer three questions. Question number one. What promises had God made to the nation when they were faithful? And the word of the Lord came to me, Jeremiah saying, verse 2 and 3, Go and cry in the ears of Jerusalem, saying, Thus says the Lord, I earnestly remember the kindness and devotion of your youth, your love after your betrothal in Egypt and marriage at Sinai, when you followed me in the wilderness, in a land not sown. Israel was holiness, something set apart from ordinary purposes, dedicated to the Lord. The first fruits of his harvest, of which no stranger was allowed to partake, all who ate of it, injuring Israel, offended and became guilty. Evil came upon them, says the Lord. Hear the word of the Lord, O house of Jacob, and all the families of the house of Israel. Thus says the Lord, What unrighteousness did your fathers find in me, that they went far from me, and habitually went after emptiness, falseness, and futility, and themselves became fruitless and worthless? Nor did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death and deep darkness, through a land that no man passes through and where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination, detestable and loathsome. Nor did they say, Where is the Lord who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, who led us through the wilderness, through a land of deserts and pits, through a land of drought and of the shadow of death and deep darkness, through a land that no man passes through and where no man dwells? And I brought you into a plentiful land to enjoy its fruits and good things. But when you entered, you defiled my land and made my heritage an abomination, detestable and loathsome. Question number two. What were some of the priests, pastors, and prophets doing that was sinful? Verse eight. Even the priests did not say, Where is the Lord? And those who handled the law given by God to Moses knew me not. The rulers and secular shepherds also transgressed against me, and the prophets prophesied by the authority and in the name of Baal, and followed after things that do not profit. Therefore, I will still contend with you, by inflicting further judgment on you, says the Lord, 
and with your children's children will I contend. For cross over to the coast of Cyprus, to the west and sea. Send also to Kedar, to the east, and carefully consider, and see whether there has been such a thing as this. Has a nation ever changed its gods, even though they are not gods? But my people have changed their glory, God, for that which does not profit. Be astonished and appalled, O heavens, at this. Be shocked and shrivel up with horror, says the Lord, at the behavior of the people. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns which cannot hold water. Is Israel a servant? Is he a home-born slave? Why has he become a captive and a prey? The young lions have roared over him and made their voices heard, and they have made his land a waste. His cities are burned ruins without inhabitant. Moreover, the children of Memphis and Tampanese, Egypt, have in times past shown their power as a foe. They have broken and fed on the crown of your head, Israel. So do not rely on them as an ally now. Have you not brought this upon yourself by forsaking the Lord your God when he led you in the way? And now, what have you to gain by allying yourself with Egypt and going her way to drink the black and royaled waters of the Nile? Or what have you to gain in going the way of Assyria to drink the waters of the Euphrates? Your own wickedness shall chasten and correct you, and your backslidings and desertion of faith shall reprove you. Know, therefore, and recognize that this is an evil and bitter thing. First, you have forsaken the Lord your God. Second, you are indifferent to me, and the fear of me is not in you, says the Lord of hosts. For long ago in Egypt, I broke your yoke and burst your bonds, not that you might be free, but that you might serve me. And long ago, you shattered the yoke and snapped the bonds of my law, which I put upon you. You said, I will not serve nor obey you. For upon every high hill and under every green tree, you eagerly prostrated yourself in idolatrous worship, playing the harlot. Yet I have planted you, O house of Israel, a choice vine, holy of pure seed. How then have you turned into degenerate shoots of wild vine, alien to me? For though you wash yourself with lye and use much soap, yet your iniquity and guilt are still upon you. You are spotted, dirty, and stained before me. 
says the Lord. Question number three. In what terrible ways were the people self-deceived in regard to their true spiritual condition? Answers ahead. <laughs> Verses 23 and 24. How can you say, I am not defiled? I have not gone after the Baals, other gods. Look at your way in the valley. Know what you have done. You are a restive young female camel in the uncontrollable violence of her brute passion, eagerly running hither and thither. Or you have the untamed and reckless nature of a wild donkey used to the desert, in her heat, sniffing the wind for the scent of a male. In her mating season, who can restrain her? No males seeking her need weary themselves. In her month, they will find her seeking them. Cease from your mad running after idols, from which you get nothing but bitter injury. Keep your feet from being unshod and your throat from thirst. But you said, it's hopeless, for I have loved strangers and foreigners and after them I will go. As the thief is brought to shame when he is caught, so shall the house of Israel be brought to shame. They, their kings and their princes, their priests and their prophets, inasmuch as they say to a tree, you are my father, and to a stone, you gave me birth. For they have turned their backs to me and not their faces. But in the time of their trouble, they say, Arise, O Lord, and save us. But where are your gods that you made for yourself? Let them arise, if they can save you in the time of your trouble. For as many as the number of your cities are your gods, O Judah. Surely so many handmade idols should be able to help you out. Even though the nation had experienced some spiritual reform under the leadership of Hezekiah and Josiah, the people reverted to their old ways and fell into worse apostasy. As he did all through his ministry, Jeremiah, in the verses which we just heard, spoke in no uncertain terms about what was going on. Particularly interesting are his words in verse 13. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, and they have hewn for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, which cannot hold water. The people had committed two evils. Number one, they forsook the Lord, the fountain of living waters, and number two, as a result, hewed out for themselves broken cisterns that, of course, could not hold any water at all. In other words, having abandoned the Lord, they had lost everything. 
these words become even more meaningful in light of what Jesus said to the woman at the well in John chapter 4 and verse 10, which says, Jesus answered her, If you had only known and had recognized God's gift and who this is that is saying to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him instead, and he would have given you living water. In Jeremiah chapter 2 and verse 5, the Lord said that the people had gone after worthlessness, and as a result, they had become worthless. The Hebrew words for both terms come from the same Hebrew word that is used in Ecclesiastes, often translated vanity. It also means a vapor or breath. The Hebrew word for both terms comes from the same Hebrew word that is used in Ecclesiastes, often translated vanity. It also means a vapor or breath. How does going after worthless things make us worthless? What does that mean? How does this concept help you to understand those who at times feel as if their lives are meaningless or worthless? What is the answer for them? Babylonian Threat The background to the political events that shaped the ministry of Jeremiah are to some degree lost to history. That is, many of the details are not available. But we do have in the Bible, with the help of archaeological finds, more than enough information to have a general picture of what took place. Though from a human perspective, it probably seemed that no one was in control as these nations battled it out for land and power and hegemony, the Bible teaches us differently. What impression do you get from these words in Jeremiah chapter 27 and verse 6? And now I have given all these lands into the land of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon my servant and instrument, and the beast of the field also I have given him to serve him. With the decline of the Assyrian Empire in the late 7th century BC, Egypt sought to regain power and dominance in the region. However, at the Battle of Carchemish in 605 BC, Egypt was crushed and Babylon became the new world power. This new power made Judah its vassal state. Jehoiakim, king of Judah, could stabilize the country only by swearing allegiance to the Babylonian king. Many in the country, however, didn't want to do that. They wanted to fight and free themselves from the Babylonians. 
even though that wasn't what the Lord intended for them to do. On the contrary, God was using Babylon specifically as a vehicle to punish the nation for its apostasy. Analyze Jeremiah chapter 25, verses 8 through 12. What was Jeremiah's message to the people of Judah? Behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, says the Lord, and I will send for Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, my servant or agent, to fulfill my designs. And I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these nations round about. And I will devote them to God and utterly destroy them and make them an amazement, a hissing and perpetual and age-long desolations. Moreover, I will take from them the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the sound of the millstones grinding out the meal and the light of the candle which every home burns throughout the night. And this whole land shall be a waste and an astonishment. And these nations shall serve the kingdom of Babylon seventy years. Then when seventy years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, says the Lord, for their iniquity, and will make the land of the Chaldeans a perpetual waste. Again and again, over and over, Jeremiah warned the people about what would happen because of their sin. And time and again, many of the political and religious leaders refused to heed the warnings, believing instead what they wanted to believe, which is that the Lord would spare them. After all, were they not God's specially called people? When was the last time you believed what you wanted to believe? no matter how obviously wrong that belief turned out to be. What lessons have you learned so that the same thing doesn't happen again? Swearing falsely. In Jeremiah chapter 5, verse 1, the Lord tells the people to run through the streets and see if you can find a man, one who does justice and seeks truth, that I may pardon her, Jerusalem. This brings to mind two stories. One is from an ancient Greek philosopher of the 4th century BC named Diogenes who, according to legend, used to walk around in the marketplace in the daytime, claiming that he was looking for an honest man. The other story, of course, one that we know is true, is that of God speaking to Abraham, telling him that if he could find 50 righteous men, 
soon reduced to ten, he would not destroy the city. The point, though, in the Lord's words through Jeremiah was to reveal just how widespread the apostasy and sin had become among his people. Was there no one who did justice and sought truth? Jeremiah chapter 5, verses 2 and 3 tell us just how bad things were becoming. And though they say, as the Lord lives, surely they swear falsely. O Lord, do not your eyes look on the truth? They have meant to please you outwardly, but you look on their hearts. You have stricken them, but they have not grieved. You've consumed them, but they have refused to take correction or instruction. They have made their faces harder than a rock. They have refused to repent and return to you. Years before, God had clearly given a prohibition about misusing his name as a front for their lack of integrity. Leviticus chapter 19 verse 12 tells us his command. You shall not swear by my name falsely, neither shall you profane the name of your God. I am the Lord. These verses bring up a point that appears all through the book. No matter how deeply fallen the nation had become, many of the people believed that they were still faithfully following the Lord. They were uttering his name, but they were doing it falsely. Instead of Jeremiah chapter 4, verse 2, in truth, in justice, and in righteousness, as the Lord had commanded them. They did not listen to the warning coming from God, but they went on in their lives and religious practices as if everything were all right between them and God, when in fact almost nothing was right between them. The depth of their deception can be seen in Jeremiah chapter 7 and verse 4, when the people would take a false comfort in these words, Hekhal Yahweh, Hekhal Yahweh, Hekhal Yahweh, Hema. This is the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord, the temple of the Lord. As if having the temple there was all that they needed in order to ensure that all would go well with them. It's one thing to know you're in a crisis, but when you are in one and don't know it, that's an even worse situation. With all the wonderful truth we have been shown as Seventh-day Adventists, how can we make sure we don't fall into a similar deception of believing our unique calling itself is enough to save us?
Let's continue exploring. Ye shall not do after all the things that we do here this day, every man whatsoever is right in his own eyes. Deuteronomy chapter 12 and verse 8. When thou shalt hearken to the voice of the Lord thy God, to keep all his commandments which I command thee this day, to do that which is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. Deuteronomy chapter 13 and verse 18. In those days there was no king in Israel, but every man did that which was right in his own eyes. Judges chapter 17, verses 6 and 21, verse 25. There's a crucially important contrast presented in these verses, especially in this day and age, when many people revolt against the idea of being told by an outside authority what to do, or being told what is right and wrong. Yet in these verses, we heard a clear distinction between these two worldviews. In one, people do whatever they think is right in their own eyes. In another, people are to do what is right in the eyes of the Lord thy God. The problem with the first position is that so often in history, what is right in someone's own eyes is often wrong in God's. That's why we have to submit everything, even our own conscience, to the Word of God. Here are a few points to ponder and questions to consider. What are some examples you can think of where good people did very bad things, even though they thought at the time that what they were doing was right. Many cultures today look back in horror at what were once common practices. What lessons can you draw from this for yourself today about why you not only need to submit to the teaching of the Bible, but also need to be very careful in how you interpret the Bible? This is especially important when one realizes that, in some cases, some of the bad things that were done were done by those who believed they could justify their actions by the Bible. What does this tell you about how basic and foundational to all of your beliefs the Ten Commandments need to be? As we explore Jeremiah, keep in mind the idea that despite warning after warning, the people believed that they were right with God. What could have caused them to be so deceived about their true condition? What message does this have for you as well? ambassadorgroup.org Thank you for exploring with us.
This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's Word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.